talking about gratitude and sharing, uh, just some of the principles uh, of goddess spirituality. Uh, But first, I want to shout out to Celia uh, for use of uh, her, uh, you know, her incredible music and tonight's uh, single, uh, you know, you heard a little snippet from her single called Meta Prayer. And uh, if it doesn't slip my mind, uh, at the close of the show, I will let you hear, um, you know, the the whole uh, the whole song uh, of Celia's called Meta Prayer. Uh, it certainly could be um, our goddess anthem in a way. So, um, as I said, uh, you know, tonight uh, it's Wednesday, so it's Voices of the Sacred Feminine. We are uh, uh, a little bit later tonight. I'm usually on at 6 p.m. Pacific, but we're on at 9 p.m. Pacific because Carol has so graciously and generously um, agreed to uh, speak to us from Greece. So we had to, uh, you know, uh, tweak the time a little bit so uh, it would you know, be a little bit more comfortable for her. Uh, and uh, as you know, you can always listen to Voices of the Sacred Feminine um, shows from the archives anytime at your convenience. So uh, make sure you tell your friends that because some people think if they don't catch the show live, uh, they've missed the opportunity. And that is not it at all. Uh, we have an incredible archive there uh, that's collected over the years, uh, still as relevant today as when the show first aired. Uh, and they can be heard anytime at your convenience. And it's uh, great to binge listen uh, as well. Um, you know, when you're cooking, washing clothes, uh, waiting in the airport, uh, you know, all of these times when, um, you know, you can multitask. Um, so anyway, uh, again, tonight's topic is gratitude and sharing principles, principles of goddess spirituality. And, um you know, this is an you know part of an important topic to me. Uh, if you've been following me much at all lately, uh, following the anthologies I've been putting together, following any of the talks or interviews that I give, listening to this show, uh, you know, one of the things that um, uh, has has been most important, you know, at the front of my mind, uh, has been talking about the values uh, of goddess spirituality, talking about reconciling our spirituality and our politics, talking about getting beyond just, you know, Goddess 101 where, you know, Goddess spirituality is, you know, about knowing how to do ritual or tarot or astrology or, uh, you know, knowing about goddesses in all these different countries. Uh, You know, all the things that we learn as beginners, 
you know, in God of spirituality. It's important, important, but it is um, sort of uh, the beginning. It's the foundation. Those are the things maybe you get into when you begin this. But we do have to, um, you know, ratchet it up a bit, you know, I, as I call it. You know, we have to go from Goddess 101 to Goddess 2.0. And, you know, what I mean by that is, um, you know, looking at uh, are we becoming our authentic selves? Are we uh, using Goddess spirituality principles to uh, become the best person that we can be, to create the best world uh, that we can, you know, using the values uh, of Goddess spirituality? And um, I, uh, you know, I am sorry to say, and I'm just being truthful, um, that um, my background, you know, coming up in Goddess Spirituality in the 90s, uh, the teachers that I had FaceTime with, you know, the one-on-one, the teachers here in the Los Angeles area, they didn't really teach about that. You know, they were big on, you know, a lot of the things I just described, um, you know, especially how to do ritual or learning about goddesses all around the world. And, you know, and for a while, you know, I mean, I was traveling all around to sacred sites, learning about goddess sacred sites. And, you know, and that's all fine and well. But, you know, now as a teacher myself, you know, I want to go to, uh, you know, jump into that next realm uh, and, and explain and teach and share at least in my opinion, how the values of goddess can help us be better people and can help us create better communities that can help us create a better world. And, um, I, you know, I think that's really important. Uh, I mean, what could be more important, really, when you think about it? Uh, I mean, it really comes down to our morality. And Carol is one of the teachers out there um, who has been – Uh, teaching about uh, sacred feminine liberation theology. And that's, you know, that's another way to talk about or label uh, these sorts of things. Sacred feminine liberation theology. How does uh, uh, the theology of the sacred feminine set us free? Okay? You know, there was a time when people thought Christianity was the uh, religion of... um, of you know liberation theology for a time i don't think it is anymore uh i mean maybe some christians would uh think otherwise maybe carol will have some thoughts on that uh but i i believe as i think carol probably believes you know uh it's sacred feminine values and spirituality that is the liberation theology of the future and she has had some great articles um in the um Feminism and Religion blog. Uh, You should really know about that blog. Uh, You can go to Feminism and Religion. uh, You know, just Google it, and you can find out how to get um, copies of blog entries that people randomly, um, you know, add to the blog, uh, you know, when they have something valuable they want to say. And uh, Carol has been doing that for a long time. You'll find a lot of her articles. Um, One, for instance, was um, 
Learning Gratitude for the Gifts of Life on the Goddess Pilgrimage to Crete. Um, You know, that was uh, a recent one. Uh, She also had Gratitude and Sharing, Two Fundamental Principles of Goddess uh, Spirituality. Uh, She had In the Spirit of Great Generosity in Crete, A Survival uh, of Ancient Matriarchal Values. Um, So anyway... um, she and we're going to be talking about uh, her articles, one in particular tonight. So um, I've gone on too long here, and she's patiently waiting there in the wings. Uh, so let me say um, good morning to you, Carol. Thank you for joining us uh, today. Good morning, uh, and good evening to all of you in the United States. Well, uh, nice thank to be you on so your much. Show again. Yes, it, and and uh, I am so glad to have you back, Carol. Uh, I really am. You know, you are one of the four mothers out there that I feel like, um, you know, it, I mean, you've con- you know, you continue to do such important work, and you know, I particularly admire the fact that, um, you know, you are are teaching this, uh, you know, this aspect of goddess spirituality, and and I think you were probably one of the few who put out. Um, uh, I forget what it's called now. Forgive me, um, it, but it, it, it's almost like Goddess Ten Commandments. Um, what did you call it, though? Um, I, called, where you list- I called it the. I called it the Nine Touchstones of Goddess Spirituality. Yes, I you know I my my brain kept going touchstones touchstones but I wasn't absolutely <laughs> sure. Do do you remember those off the top of your head by any chance or or some of them? Um, just a sec. <laughs> I, I know I'm kind of throwing you a curve here, but you know I I thought it was so important because it speaks to you know this introduction. You know I've 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 kind of been giving off the top of my head here for the show uh, because you're one of the few I felt who were trying to give guidance. You know, who are trying to say, you know, if we are really serious about being goddess advocates, about living uh, this tradition, then these are, you know, these are some of the things that we should be incorporating into our lives. Uh, so I found them on my website. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the nine touchstones are nurture life, walk in love and beauty, trust the knowledge that comes through the body. Speak the truth about conflict, pain, and suffering. Take only what you need. Think about the consequences of your actions for seven generations. Approach the taking of life with great restraint. Practice great generosity. Repair the web. And I wasn't aware of, it hadn't really come out, the new research on egalitarian matriarchal societies. But um, when I look back on these um, nine touchstones that I developed in the late 1990s, um, I can see that they very much express um, what we now are coming to call egalitarian matriarchal values. And one of the key values there is the nurturing of life. Um, And that's the principle that egalitarian matriarchal societies associate with women and with motherhood. to nurture life is to take care of the vulnerable, um, to always be uh, giving and loving and generous towards others and towards life in general. Walking in love and beauty, um, that comes from the Native Americans, the idea of the beauty way of the Navajos, um, that life is itself a great gift and it's 
beautiful. And this has nothing to do with false beauty standards that we all all have to be tall and blonde or something like that. Um, it has to do with appreciating the intrinsic beauty of a tree, of a snail, um, of the sea, and of every color of a kind of individual who lives in our world, whether that be human or other than human. Trusting the knowledge that comes through the body, um, that's something that is particularly important in our culture where we're divorced from our bodies, especially in many cases women. And um, we need to learn to bring ourselves down from our heads into our bodies, rooting our feet on the ground so that we can um, draw up wisdom from the earth and we can learn to trust um, the messages that our bodies tell us, like that it's not good to be raped, it's not good to have incest, um, it's not good to be hit or to hit others, um, that our bodies react and uh, tell us that things are wrong. And, of course, as the great poet and thinker Audre Lorde said, um, the power of the erotic, the good feelings that come from our bodies, um, tell us what is right in the world. And, of course, that's not only sex, the erotic. Sex is a feeling of connection and really communing with the beauty of the world, yourself and others. Speaking the truth about conflict, pain, and suffering um, means that we don't, uh, we don't cover these things over. We are aware that our world is broken, both in our own bodies, in our personal lives, and certainly now we're you and I are very aware that our world is broken. And if I could just, if I could just interject here, you know, I and that one, um, I, I, you know, I wanted to say just one little thing about, you know, one of the things that really annoys me about our American history is the whitewash of everything. And I think if we, and if, if we followed that principle and we spoke the truth about the suffering, you know, whether we're talking about Native American genocide or, uh, you know, the things that the United States has done over the years, you know, uh, that I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, in, instead of pretending we're something we're not or, you know, just glossing over the atrocities, um, I, I think, um, you know, if we didn't gloss over the atrocities, if we spoke the truth, then um, I, I think um, our morality would be stronger. You know, we wouldn't have this American exceptionalism, which is so bogus, you know, uh, because, you know, we just we're not looking at the, you know, the ugly history, you know. Yes. Uh, and I think that enables us to continue to do ugly. But anyway... Um, I, I yeah, just wanted to I, throw I that, that in. Thank you for interrupting there. I, I totally agree with you. And I think um, this not speaking the truth about conflict, pain, and suffering is certainly um, in the New Age and um, the New Age movements and also in the, you know, everything can be abundant and everything is perfect and except, you know, life is perfect. It's not. Um, life is beautiful, but it's not perfect, at least not the life that we have in our society today. And, and our Me Too movement is maybe an a, a reflection. An Indian woman. Uh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. An Indian woman who was in, in the she was in a yoga center, and I, some white woman said something to her about her about I don't know her color or something, and she she said very nicely back, um, you know, that made me feel bad, and the white woman um, 
just went ballistic, and she didn't want to be told that she did anything that hurt someone else. But, of course, we Mm -hmm. hurt each other all the time. It's not like only white people who hurt people of color. People hurt each other all the time. But if we can't accept that, you know, sometimes we hurt others, then we're not allowing them to express their own truth. Yeah. Yeah, I've had um, uh, I, I've had a woman of color on the show, and we talked about white women's tears, and you know, and she expressed, um, uh, you know, how uh, you know to protect the fragility, so shall we say, of of the white woman's um, sensibilities. Uh, so often, you know, black women or people of color, you know, have been hurt. Um, you know, and and that's 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 not right. And I think white women have to look at that. Uh, and and I was going to say also, you know, the Me Too movement is maybe a shift toward speaking the truth about you know uh, pain, uh, you know, and, and bad things that have been done, rather than pretend and keep it all bottled up. Absolutely. Yeah. So you want me to continue, or do you want to move on? Yes, please. <laughs> No, no, no. Yes, okay. well, you know, I'm glad I'm I'm glad you're going through these, and uh, let's let's finish that, and then we'll you know okay. we'll jump into your article. Okay, take only what you need, and that's one that's very hard for us. I also um, got that from some Native American um, wisdom I was reading a, a long time ago, and um, the idea that you take only what you need, you don't take more, um, and we just take more and more and more and more. And of course, I can't say that I don't that I really follow that principle. I have a much, much, many more things than I need and, and a bigger house and sometimes they eat too much. And you know, But if we can at least try um, to think about that, that we don't need what we think we need because in our culture, as you said in the introduction to the show, um, we're, you know, it's a capitalist culture where we're taught that we don't have enough and we need more and we deserve more. And so taking only what you need, what do we really need? That's what we need to think about. And in relation to that, think about the consequences of your actions for seven generations. That's also a Native American principle. And I used to think we had to think seven generations ahead, but we can also think about it as three back and three forward, that our our actions are coming from the, from the three generations before us, and they're going to affect the three generations and more after us. And of course, in our overconsumption and destruction of the earth, whether through war or, or through just greed and more of the natural resources. We're affecting the world. And yeah. we, I mean I think in the you know, in the current government they're thinking about today. Um, we can have this for today and for ourselves and they are not at all considering um, what's the consequence of the children. No, I the agree. I agree, agree. Approach, yeah, approach the taking of life with great restraint. Um, I'm a, I'm totally anti-war, um, and yet I eat meat uh, and I eat food. Um, so we need to, but um, at least think about great restraint. Um, I would never support a war, uh, an organized war. I might defend myself. I'm not sure. I haven't been put in that situation. But I mean, with by killing someone else, I don't know, or kill, or might defend a child. But um, I certainly would never go to war. Organized war is so so um, horrible for the for the earth itself. But 
other people may take other decisions on that, but um, with great, great restraint. It should never be the first response. It should never be the second response. It should never be the third response. It should be only, life should only be taken with great restraint. And that means also in terms of what we eat, that we should think about um, what we're doing uh, to other forms of life. Practice great generosity, that also came from Native American wisdom, and it's a matriarchal principle that we're talking about today. Um, and this is the notion that, I mean, we aren't really generous in our culture. We give gifts at Christmas, but, you know, we're kind of worried about how much money we spend and will the other person like it. But we don't have, I don't have in my, my body and my life, a spirit of great generosity. That is that I can just give things to others freely, without expecting anything back, not because of it to make me feel like a good person, but just because that's the way life should be. And this is something that I've been learning um, through my time with the Cretan people um, in Crete, uh, who still, I believe, carry on some of these ancient values. They just give. And um, I was out to dinner last night in Lesbos, where, I am, where I've been living, but I'm now moving to Crete. And we, we were at a restaurant, and um, sometimes they give you dessert or, you know, a little bit of liqueur or something at the end of the meal. And I, we didn't get anything. And I said to the women I was with, don't we get anything? And, of course, that's <laughs> not really the spirit of great generosity. That's a little bit of my own greed. But um, they said no, I mean, because of the economic crisis. Uh, people here aren't, they, none of the restaurants give anything anymore. And in Crete... They, um, get, and of course in America, almost never. Uh, but in Crete, uh, where I've been for the last three months, and where I've been t- leading the goddess pilgrimage for the last 25 years, almost every meal you're given a tiny bottle of raki and either fruit or sweets or both. And of course you could say, well, that's added into your bill in some way, right? You know, I mean, they can't do that without charging, let's say, an extra dollar somewhere along the line in your you know, a little bit more for your salad, a little bit more for your main course. But um, it still, it changes the way you think about the world. It's so lovely mm-hmm. to give a gift at the end of your meal. And I yeah. think they feel really good bringing it to you. They always bring it to you with a smile. This is for you. This is from us. And um, it's just a way, of, a way of being that is almost foreign to us as Americans. And I think it goes all the way back to the deep matriarchal, egalitarian matriarchal past that we all come from. Well, you know, it reminds me of the baker's... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I I was going to say it reminds me of the baker's dozen. Uh, You know, you'd get 13 instead of 12. You know, that's a thing of the past. Yeah. Um, And the other thing, I mean, I grew up in New Orleans and we have something, well, I don't know that, again, it's a a dying uh, tradition, but we had something called lanyap, L-A-G-N-I-A-P-P-E, lanyap, and that meant a little something extra. And whether you got it at the restaurant or you or somebody at the you know the the butcher maybe threw a little extra in or uh, you know it was just wherever you went you know you got just a little bit extra Uh, and I I hadn't thought about it till just now to be honest with you but um, uh, I'm thinking you know maybe there was there used to be more of this uh, this generosity than we can recall. You know, and uh, 
you know, maybe it's just our, our culture has forgotten. Yes, I think so. I mean, you even go back to, you know, stories about life on the prairies and settling the West and all of that. People always came together and, you know, helped each other um, plow a field if they, or, or build a house and things like that. Um, they were they were giving their time freely uh, to each other, and, and there was a much more of an exchange than we have now. Mm-hmm. We still have yeah. a few potlucks and things like that, but um, yeah, we've we're we're much more. I don't know, um, holding on to what we have these days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I can't help but wonder if it isn't just the state of the economy, you know, the uh, the uncertainty uh, that makes, uh, you know, that, that makes people hoard it, you know. But yeah. anyway, go on. I, I think there's one more. Yes. The last, the last one is uh, repair the web, and that came from the Jewish tradition of repairing uh, the world, and I just changed it to repairing the web, that is, the web of life. Uh, so that we are sure that we mean not just human life, but all all life is what we need to repair, and um, that ties in with you know speaking the truth about conflict, pain, and suffering. That we know that we haven't always created um, the best um, the best relationship to the environment, the best relationship to each other. That we can, and so we always need to think not only of nurturing life but of also repairing the things that have been broken. Yeah. Well, and and I just want to, I've mentioned this before on the show, but it it feels appropriate to kind of just throw it in here. Uh, I've talked about uh, discovering the psychologist Eric Fromm, uh, and uh, he he's deceased now. I mean, it was an older book, but he wrote he's written a number of books like The Art of Loving. Uh, but the one that really st- stuck with me was To Have or To Be, and he really got into the uh, the idea that uh, with our consumerism, that we you know even our language is geared toward ownership. Um, you know, um, and, and having things, acquiring things. You know, uh, we measure everything by our assets. But he talked about uh, shifting to um, a being society instead. And as I read it, I couldn't help but think this this just went hand in glove with goddess spirituality and this idea of egalitarian matriarchy. I mean, he was even talking about the necessity for women's rights and, uh, you know, and, and uh, the, you know, the need to be more re- responsible consumers and, you know, not fall prey to this uber consumerism and greed of today. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I honestly had never heard anybody um, uh, you know, ju- juxtapose uh, the having and the being like that before, and it, it's worth a read. You know, I'll I'll just yeah. say that to um, you know to listeners, um, go look for it. You can find a cheap used copy, and um, and it really makes you think. Yeah, and getting back to something you said before about you know the uncer- the uncertainty of our economy makes us even more. Um, more holding on and more concerned with ownership uh, than than um, we were even a few years ago, um, and I think that's very true. At the same time, it's also true that um, you know we live in uh, we're ta- we're taught so much that we just have to have more. I live 
have been living for quite some time in a village where there's no shopping, really. I mean, you can go to a tourist shop and buy one more, one more ceramic cup or something, uh, one more beach wrap or something. But there's no, there's no department stores. There's no real, you know, food, you know, cooking stores or anything like that. You can't shop. You just can't walk out of your house and shop. And you can't drive five minutes and shop. And it's really um, amazing how what a change that is because if I'm in America and I'm bored I'll go to the mall and I'll buy myself a new dress or something um, it's just that's just the way we live and um, that's just not we don't need another dress we don't need those but we have some type of a hole in ourselves that makes us feel bad and our culture um, somehow makes us feel bad and we go and we go and buy things we don't really need um, and one of the things that I've learned about through studying in thinking about how these values exist pre and also studying the um, living matriarchal societies, they, the, one of the reasons they're able to give is because everybody gives. So you, have a, you know that if something happens to you, someone will take care of you. Um, it's not like, but it's not the way we think of it. If I give, I'll get back. So kind of like I just put my hand in a fist, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. I give, I'll get back. Um, I just did that without even thinking. It's not like that. It's, it's just what you know, that there's always a flow back and forth. And mm-hmm. I, if I have more food and you're hungry, I just give it to you. But I know because this is the way everybody is in my culture, that if I'm hungry, somebody will give to me. Of course, this isn't mm-hmm. true across the board in modern Greece either because there are people starving in our culture now today due to the economic crisis and a lot of people are unemployed and people are going through garbage and nobody's giving to them. So, you know, this spirit is not totally alive in Greece anymore. But where that spirit is alive, I, you know, I don't go out and feed those people on the street, but in in a, a small community that was practicing these values, people would do that. Right. Well, it makes me not 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 even think about it. Just do it. Well, and and I think um, our our uh, turning a blind eye to these things is is has become way too normal. Um, I mean, I live here in Venice Beach, and the boardwalk. Uh, it's referred to often. Uh, you know, the 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 boardwalk is is just homeless Skid Row. And um, and you find that uh, you know the politicians want to make sweeps of the beach to hide all the homeless when the tourists come, um, you know, rather than really do anything about the societal problem. I mean, I, it's a huge problem, you know, obviously. Yeah. But I, I worry about the you know how it's becoming so normal. You know, we will yeah. see families with children living in tents on the sidewalk. You know, and um, why is I don't know, I, and I wonder if it is it doesn't have something to do with the churches have changed, and I might just be talking off the top of my head, and this may not even be accurate, but it feels like to me, um, you know, just like the churches back in the day of FDR, you know, it was the progressive Christians that were part of the um, the force, you know, along with the communists, the socialists, the labor unionists, that made FDR create the social safety net. But, you know, you don't see, um, you know, the churches... Uh, I think doing as much as they could do. I mean, you have these mega churches, 
and you know they they're preaching prosperity gospel and i know a lot of that is well if you're poor you're just not blessed from god and maybe you aren't working hard enough you know rather than the jesus christianity of help help your neighbor you know, it just seems like even the spirit, the religion, uh, the message that's coming out of the churches isn't what it once was. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's certainly true. And then, of course, so many people aren't going to church anymore. And, well, and a lot of those are go- not going to church for the right reasons. That is that they disagree with, you know, some of the doctrines or, or the, the sexism or the racism within the churches. Um, but um, then we don't have anything, you know, and even, in, as you said, in the goddess movement, we often, although we may have learned to do a few spells and rituals, we don't really have a community that's supporting us to make the changes that need to be made in our world. And it's, right. Yeah, I mean, it's overwhelming because we don't live in small communities anymore. We don't know everyone. Um, and we don't have other people helping us. Like, let's say you wanted to do something about the homeless right there in your village or I wanted to do something in my village. There's no, I mean, in your town, in your city, you live in a big city. How do you go about it? I mean, it is, it's not easy. Um, yeah. But you're totally right that we're, we're just accepting it. And here in Lesbos, where I'm, I have been living for 20 years, um, you know, we have the refugee crisis. And um, I live in a touristic village and, um, Due to the refugee crisis, we had an 80% drop in tourism a couple of years ago. And most of the at least outspoken people in the village said, don't help the refugees because if you do, more will come in. And um, don't let them be seen in Moligos because then there won't be any tourists. And they've just gone into this really, just what you were saying, that's kind of what, what's happening in Venice Beach. You know, get Put it out of sight, out of mind, and don't help because if you help, then... There'll be more people asking for help, and it's just—it just makes me sick. Um, in fact, that's why I'm, one of the reasons I'm leaving, moving to Crete. Um, you can't get away from it, but I just can't live with this, this meanness that people have in their hearts in my village now. And um, yeah, it's—I uh, mean, I don't know what to do about it either. I don't have the solution. I'm telling you all these great principles, and they are great principles, but how do we put them into action, really? It's uh, it's something we really have to put our minds and hearts together um, and create communities where we can, we can work together because no one of us can do it alone. No, and, and you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, politics is morality, and, um, and and I know we're, you know, so many of us feel demoralized about politics right now, too. You know, we don't know if we can even trust, you know, that uh, election results are honest, uh, you know, here in the United States of all places, you know. Yeah. Uh, but in, in, unless we get to the point where we have government that, you know, works for the people again, and Instead of giving corporate welfare to corporations and spend all of our money on the military-industrial complex, you know, I mean, it started with Reagan, you know, taking money away from, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, social causes uh, and, uh, you know, taking money from the mentally disabled. You know, I mean, we have people taking money, you know, from food stamps and that uh, they don't care about, you know, hungry children. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's really uh, 
it, it's really gotten pretty insane. Uh, and I, I don't know, I think that's a start. You know, I, I think it's to change who, uh, you know, change the, the political landscape to people that are, are going to make the, you know, country work for the people again and not the oligarchy. And I'm, I'm so proud of all the women, um, women of color and white women who are running for office, and a lot of them are winning. Some of them are losing. Um, and hopefully um, all, of the, all of the people who are running now on a progressive platform who care about uh, changing the world for the better um, will, even if they lose, will continue. And those of us who, who send them money or work for them won't get discouraged because one of the things that, you know, unfortunately, people who haven't had power don't understand is that people who do have power, they haven't always won either. Um, and like Nixon, I think he lost two or three times before he finally mm-hmm. got elected. But he kept going, whereas a woman might say, oh, I didn't win. I guess I'm not good enough. Um, and we have to just, and, or a community of women that are working to like that woman might say, oh, well, um, we didn't win. Let's give up. Um, but you just have to keep going, and you have to recognize that losing um, isn't the worst thing that can happen, because even when you're losing, you're creating um, a spirit, um, a community spirit, that can perhaps win the next time. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I look at, um, you know, taking Bernie Sanders, uh, for instance. You know, when he was running against Hillary, uh, people said he, his, plat- his platform was extreme. Well, geez, you know, he just, but he just kept talking, and he kept saying the same things over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, and, and he stood by it, and he said how we could do it. And now you find that the things that he talked about um, are starting to happen you know, around the country, you know, people are believing it, they're wanting it, they're demanding it, and we're even starting to see here in the United States that when a Democrat runs on a progressive ticket, they are likely to win, And but when a Democrat runs on a more corporatist ticket, and, you know, and, and they're not there, uh, you know, fighting for Medicare for all, or free college, or $15 minimum wage, they don't win. The Republican or abortion, wins. Or the right to yeah, Exactly. And so I, I don't know if the Democrat, the corporatist Democrats are going to wake up and see this, because I know they don't want to see it, but I, this, this uh, progressive um, uh, wave, I think, um, is gradually, I think, slowly taking hold. Uh, and, and it doesn't happen fast enough, <laughs> but, but at least you can see it. You know, you can see yeah. that Democrats win on a progressive ticket, and they don't win if they're just pushing the same old uh, centrist, corporatist message, because uh, that's what's kind of got us here. Um, so anyway, um, I, that gives me hope course, I, is Bernie what I'm Sanders. trying to say. Bernie Sanders also, you know, his, a lot of his power came from the uh, 1% movement, the, the anti-Wall Street movement, which is a grassroots mm-hmm. That's, I mean, and the Me Too movement is a grassroots movement as well. So I agree with you totally that the, we need to focus on the progressive Democrat uh, candidates. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and, and in addition, I, I think Stacey Abrams' campaign um, in Georgia showed us that you can win on a progressive ticket, and you don't have to go back and try to get the racist, um, sexist whites onto the team. Um, we could try to convert them so they won't be racist, sexist whites, but we don't have to um, 
cater to them and and you know say things. That, well, we're really not for abortion, or we're really not for um, a living wage for all people, and things like that. Um, and we certainly shouldn't ever cater to to their racism or sexism. And one yeah. thing that really sort of irritates has been irritating me in terms of I read a lot of you know, progressive uh, columns and stuff in the New York Times, and Nation magazine, and things like that. And so many of the white male um, analysts talk about the racism that funnels Donald Trump, but um, often they leave out the sexism. And um, you know, they say, "Well, these people are afraid of you know they they don't like you know black people or immigrants or things like that. They don't like women either." And we really need to you know always talk about racism, sexism, and tantrum when we're talking about what the Republican Party stands for these days, what fundamentalist Christianity stands for these days. Um, not just racism, it's also sexism, deeply embedded sexism. And although my candidate like yours was Bernie Sanders, not Hillary Clinton, I mean a lot of the reasons, probably the reason, one of the reasons she lost was sexism, because some of those voters yeah. could not stand the idea of a woman getting power. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, two two terms of a black guy and then a woman, uh, you know, I think was maybe just uh, two more than uh, a lot of people would uh, tolerate, uh, unfortunately, you know. Um, well, Carol, let me read your bio, and then I, if you would, I'd like you to share your um, – uh, one of your, your last essays that you had on the feminist and religion column. Uh, but for folks who might be new to the show and uh, who uh, aren't familiar with uh, Carol Christ's work, um, uh, she is a founding mother in the study of women and religion and in the goddess movement. She holds a Ph.D. from Yale and is an author of eight books on women and religion, most recently Goddess and God in the World, written with Judith Plaskow and A Serpentine Path, both of which are available uh, on Amazon. Her other books are Rebirth of the Goddess, She Who Changes, uh, Laughter of Aphrodite, Diving Deep and Surfacing, and the Groundbreaking Anthology, uh, two anthologies, Women's Spirit Rising and Weaving the Visions. Um, she blogs on Monday on the uh, blog that I mentioned a few times. It's Feminism and Religion. Uh, you definitely want to uh, be aware of it and read uh, the, the great articles that uh, show up there. Uh, often, and Carol's been leading Goddess Pilgrimage to Crete uh, in spring and fall for 25 years, and uh, you can get more information about her tours at goddessariadne.org, goddessariadne.org, that's goddess, A-R-I-A-D-N-E dot org. Um, so, Carol, I'm uh, I'm glad, you know, it, it was kind of impulsive of me asking you to dust off your touchstones there, but, um, you know, I'm thinking maybe you, you should really, you know, dust them off and shine them up and, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, do some essays on each of the points, you know, maybe even write a few paragraphs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a great blog, blog uh, topics, you know, and talk a little bit about each of the, uh, each of the touchstones because, um, you know, I, I think people need to hear it. 
uh, and be reminded of it. Um, so anyway, that's that's my two cents. I think they're beautiful, and I'm so glad you put them out because, as I said at the top of the show, it pains me that too many of our, uh, you know, women leaders uh, and men leaders too, you know, they're not really showing the way. And 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 along those lines, I do want to mention Genevieve Vaughn with her gift economy teachings. That's really important. And and uh, of course, you know, uh, there's Rianne Eisler with her, you know, partnership and caring economy. So you know, we do have you know some teachers out there, but not enough. You know, I think there's all, there's too much emphasis on the Goddess 101 and not enough emphasis on the Goddess 2.0. And um, anyway, but... um, And I know that I sometimes contribute also to uh, witchesandpagans.com or Pagan Square, sometimes they call it. There there are a lot of really good uh, things on there too, but it's not feminist and it's not... um, you know, it's not political necessarily. Uh, some people are and some people aren't. But one thing that really um, upsets me when I read it is uh, younger women, uh, sometimes it's women, usually it's women, sometimes it's men, talking about following a, a tradition. They call it a tradition, like they're following a Norse tradition or they're following a Celtic tradition or something like that. And then they, they're, they're, they're worshipping a warrior god. They're worshipping Zeus or they're worshipping Odin. And, you know, it's like that's part of patriarchy. Um, mm-hmm. There's some good things in there. There are nature elements that are good. But if you're worshiping a warrior god, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not going to save the world. Right, right. Um, sort of off the topic a little bit, but when you said feminist, it clicked in my head. There is a great new show that has just started called Dietland. <laughs> And uh, it is it is it is incredibly feminist. Um, the the writing is just incredible, and you know it, the stuff that you hear in the in the script, the you know the dialogue is the kind of stuff we talk about right here. You know, it's it's like one feminist woman talking to another. And I would just I would tell listeners if it's on AMC, it's on uh, I think it's Tuesday nights. Uh, please tune in. Uh, they talk about you know uh, patriarchal ideas, ideals of beauty, and um, you know all all of these different things that ha- have warped the world. Um, you know they are they are uh, speaking out against, but in a very funny. Um, kind of a dark comedy satirical way and I just sit here and grin you know Um, it's so much nicer to watch that you know it feels like it's smart TV it's like almost an extension of the Me Too movement in a sense you know rather than the the idiot stuff, you know, that we that there's way too much of. Uh, this is really, you know, uh, it, it's really smart. So anyway, look at it, Dialand. Um, so anyway, Carol, we were gonna. I think you were you were gonna uh, start um, by, by reading my blog. <laughs> yeah, I know we kind of you know went way off track here. Uh, do you still have time uh, to read? Sure, the, I, have, um, I have all the time in the world. Um, okay. Well, not in the world. <laughs> I have to get on a boat tomorrow morning. But, um, yeah, no, I have plenty of time. Uh, so this one was called, uh, Karen asked me to read it, um, Learning Gratitude for the Gifts of Life on the Goddess Pilgrimage to Crete. In Crete, we are always being given gifts. 
fresh cherry, ice-cold bottles of raki, yogurt swimming in honey, and so much more. Over the years, it finally hit me that this spirit of great generosity is a living remnant of the ancient Cretan egalitarian matriarchal tradition of gift-giving. In egalitarian matriarchal cultures, gift-giving is not something reserved for holidays and birthdays. It is a way of life rooted in the primary understanding that life is a gift that is meant to be shared. Our lives are gifts from our mothers. Our individual lives are not something we create or created for ourselves. We all emerge from the body of a mother. We were all given the gift of care and feeding by a mother or others. And our mothers did not create themselves. They also emerged from the bodies of mothers and were cared for and fed by mothers or others, and so on, back to the original mother of the human race, known as the African Eve. Our lives are a gift from the original African mother. Our individual lives can be traced to an African mother who lived some 200,000 years ago and gave birth to daughters whose mitochondrial DNA has been passed on to every human being living today. But even the African mother did not create herself. Her birth is the product of evolution of early hominids and mammals, which is part of the evolution of life during the 400, four and a half billion years of evolution on planet Earth. Our lives are a gift from life itself. Our individual lives on planet Earth are rooted in an evolutionary process that began four and a half billion years ago. But even that is not the beginning. The atoms and particles of atoms that swirled together to become our planet were born in a great pang of birth that scientists unimaginatively call the Big Bang. And even that was probably not the beginning, but only the beginning of this universe. Egalitarian matriarchal peoples honor the mothers who have given us the gift of life. They imagine the source of life as a great and giving mother. You can read more about egalitarian matriarchal culture, cultures in Heidi Gottner Abendroth's Societies of Peace, and you can savor images of the source of life as female in egalitarian matrifocal cultures in Moravian Buddhism, the language of the goddess. In egalitarian matriarchal societies, both boys and girls are taught to be as loving and giving as the mothers who raise them. In these cultures, there is no sharp distinction between feminine and masculine attributes, personalities, and characters. Rituals in egalitarian matriarchal cultures focus on gift-giving. The seeds to be planted are blessed on the altar of the source of life, with prayers that life will sprout up again in the fields, which are her body. First fruits of every harvest are given back to the source of life on altars dedicated to her great generosity. At the end of the rituals, these gifts are shared, community feasts. Gift-giving is a way of life in egalitarian matriarchal cultures. In these cultures, you neither give in order to receive, nor do you give with no expectation. When giving to others is understood to be the highest value, and when everyone is taught to give to others, giving is neither a calculated risk nor is it self-sacrifice. It is quite simply the way things are. <laughs> 
You do not need to save for a rainy day because you trust that if you are in need, someone will give to you. And you can read more about gift-giving economies in Genevieve Bond's Forgiving, a feminist, a feminist Criticism of Exchange. This book can be downloaded as a gift from the Internet. I have to admit it. When I began leading the Goddess Pilgrimages to Crete 25 years ago, I was not particularly grateful for what I had been given. I was angry and frustrated that I had not been given my true love or my true job. I had worked very hard all my life. I felt that I deserved both. On the first pilgrimage, I lost my voice. I could not say everything I thought I needed to say as tour leader. Back home and still unable to speak, I realized that I was being taught a deep lesson. I could not control everything. This meant that I could not make things happen exactly as I wanted them to happen in my life. When I returned to Crete the next spring, I was overwhelmed by expressions of love for me that came from our helpers along the way, especially from Christina, who cooks for our group, who told me that whenever she prays for her children, she also prays for me, and for Mr. Nikos, who guided us kindly for many years into the depths of the Scotipo Cave. I, who thought I was unloved, was being shown love in the pilgrimage of my life, the most unexpected life. Through the, <clears throat> through the process of the pilgrimage, my heart has been open to the love I do receive, and I have learned that it is everywhere. This once small opening in my heart now overflows with gratitude for the gifts of life I am given by others every day and for the gift of life of which my individual life is one small part. When we recognize that life is a gift, we realize that nothing is ours and that everything we have been given is meant to be shared. You may be nodding your head as you hear this, but to truly embrace the idea that nothing is ours is a very far cry from the values inculcated in our culture, which are based on mine versus yours, and the idea that we have the right to own things because we are, or our ancestors worked hard for the right to own them. Blessings. Ah, nice article. Um, and and again, um, you have another great one: gratitude and sharing two fundamental prin- principles of goddess spirituality. And uh, a third uh, is the spirit of great generosity in Crete, a survival of ancient matriarchal values. Uh, I hope listeners will definitely go to the feminism and religion blog and look for those. Um, they can search those. I think probably just putting your name in the search box, right, Carol? My name, my um. All the names of the authors are on the right-hand side of the blog. So you just click on my name there, and then you get all of my archives. <laughs> you know, you get a couple of buttons, probably. Yes. Yeah. All or just search through the ones you want. Right, right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the points uh, in the article. Um, you coined the term uh, egalitarian matriarchy. Uh, do you want to say maybe a little bit more about that? Yes, Um one of the problems with uh, talking about alternative to patriarchy um, is that people immediately uh, conjure up the most horrible things. Um, they imagine that matriarchy must be the opposite of patriarchy, 
and then, you know, even if it doesn't come directly to their mind, they're imagining that women hold men as slaves, women rape men, women go to war against men, uh, women, you know, beat men in the family, uh, women, you know, all the bad things. Not all men do these things, but all the bad things that men do, <laughs> they imagine that if you say the word matriarch, then women are going to be doing those things too. And, of course, patriarchy is a system based on domination, uh, not on um, sharing and generosity, as we've been talking about. It's based on domination, ownership, uh, taking things through war, the spoils of war, so on, um, and ownership of people, um, whether it's the man really feeling he owns his wife and children or also the slaves, uh, the people that he captured in war and then takes home to work for him on the property that he captured in war. Um, so patriarchy really is a system of domination, ownership, and control. And people imagine, you know, when they start thinking of alternatives, they imagine women doing all the horrible things that are done in patriarchy and doing them to men. And for most people, even though it's, oh, well, these things happen in patriarchy, that's just the way things are, um, they, they can't imagine women doing those things to men. Um, and so they just go, oh, that's horrible. Um, I can't, can't even, and then they don't even think about it farther. And actually now the new studies of matriarchy that are coming out through the work of Heidi Gottner Abendroth in Societies of Peace and Peggy Reeves Sanday's wonderful book, um, Women at the Center, about the living matriarchy in West Sumatra. And also there's a number of books and articles, but also there's some wonderful documentaries on YouTube about the Masu people in the Himalayas um, and how they have also an egalitarian matriarchy that still exists today. And in West Sumatra, it still exists today as well, and some other places in the world. Um, and a matriarchy is not the opposite of patriarchy. Patriarchy is an egalitarian society, and that's why I think we need to always put egalitarian in front of it so that people don't imagine it as a dominator society. And in matriarchal societies, um, the mother principle is put first, So, and the mother principle is identified with loving, um, sharing, nurturing, and giving. And this becomes the fundamental value of the society, um, not just for women, but also for men. Everyone is meant to be loving, giving, nurturing, and sharing. And they establish equality in their society through well-developed processes of gift-giving, um, just the topic we're talking about today and what Genevieve Vaughn writes about in her work on gift-giving cultures. And um, they have also structures of what I call participatory democracy that ensures that everybody's voice is heard. So it's, you think of a mother um, ruling the society, but we shouldn't say ruling, we might say uh, nurturing <laughs> the society. Yeah. Uh, they want everybody's voice to be heard. They don't want one of their children to get to talk and the other one never gets gets their way. They want, you know, they want everyone to get their way as much as possible, as long as that way is not egotistical and not selfish. Um, and then finally, um, they tend to worship the earth as a great and giving source of life, whether they call it mother. Um, they think they think of it in terms of the mother principle that is giving and sharing. And so it's not the opposite of patriarchy in any way. It's a, it's a real alternative um, type of system. And I think it's really important, given that people tend to think of matriarchy in negative terms, 
to, to, to go on, always, even though it's a little more awkward, always to say egalitarian. Right. And I think Miriam Robbins Dexter sometimes even calls it equalitarian. Yeah, um, that's another you know, word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think they're both uh, both great ideas. Well, well, you mentioned um, a, uh, a couple uh, egalitarian matriarchies that are still around today. Um, d- did you want to say a little bit more about them? Sure. Um, in the Mosa Society in the Himalayas, I think it's maybe the the one that's the most that has been least influenced by patriarchy that's still living today. Um, I think it's 40,000 people who live up in the Himalayas in, the, in this culture called uh, matrilineal, matrilocal uh, culture of the Mossi. They're at, they're, um, now they're being in, uh, changed by tourism, but in the back uh, reaches of their culture and also you know, even up to 10 or 15 years ago, uh, you had a culture that was based on um, small-scale farming. And, of course, if you're in the Himalayas or in, let's say, ancient Crete, which I'm also working, thinking about. Um, you can't have large-scale farms because it's mountainous. Um, you can't, you know, it's not the, the American prairies or the prairies that might exist in parts of Turkey and Sumer and things like that. Um, so they had small-scale farms. The land was owned by the matrilineal clan, by the mother clan. People lived together. They didn't live in nuclear families. They all lived together. Uh, in their matrilineal clan, 20, 30 people uh, living in a grand house or a big house with lots of rooms. And um, the mothers, of, like, let's say, I had five, I had a child, and I had two sisters, and I had four cousins who were girls, and so on. All of those people would be mothers to my children. And so you don't have, like, the individual mother stuck with all the work all by herself in a nuclear family home. You have um, a group of mothers who look after all the children um, of of the next generation and a group of aunties and grandmothers who are all called grandmothers who guide the mothers and also help them raise the children, passing the values down uh, to the children. So you don't have this nuclear family where women are alone with their children and, you know, feeling isolated and frustrated. And the land is held in common, so you don't have this. I mean, of course, people have their own clothes and, you know, a few things, some things that are their own. But um, you don't have this uh, ownership of property the way we do. And um, in this culture, they don't have um, marriage. They call it a walking marriage. I, I love this idea because um, my brother, had, you know, had, he had to get married when he was 17, and then he was out on his own having to raise a family. And, um, you know, how, what's a 17-year-old and his wife was 18-year-old and they had a new baby? What, how are they supposed to raise a family and get a start? You know, of course, my parents helped, but they were really on their own. And mm-hmm. um, in this culture, all children are legitimate. They're all born into the mother family, into the mother clan. There's no illegitimate children. There's no divorce. There's no women on their own trying to raise children, single mothers. Um, What happens is if you like, you grow up, you're an older teenager, you've had your puberty rights, you meet a boy um, at a festival or you see him walking around the village and you like him and he likes you, you smile, whatever. And then you invite him over for dinner. Your mother helps. You have your own room with an outdoor 
an outdoor uh, access, you know, around the out, outside of the houses. All the young women have their own doors. And you invite the boy over for dinner. Your mother helps you, gets you all dressed up, and then you um, have a good meal, and you talk. And if you like him, you invite him to spend the night. If you don't, he goes home. <laughs> or you invite him back <laughs> for the next time, but don't sleep with him. But you can sleep with him if you want. And then as long as the relationship is good, he keeps coming over every night. But when it's not good anymore, out the door. And he finds yeah. someone else. Finds someone else. And there's no, like he doesn't, the, the Masu say it's really wonderful because marriage isn't about economics. It's not about supporting yeah. children. It's just about love and fun. <laughs> I mean, isn't that good? Yeah. That sure <laughs> and changes things, happy with it, too, because they, they get to go home to their mommies every morning for breakfast, and they don't have to leave their <laughs> home and their moms. And well, what about, and then you say, but what about fatherhood? Well, in, in, in the Masu, um, the uncles and brothers, like, so I have my boyfriend and I get a child, and then my sisters and my cousins help me with that child, and my mother and my grandmothers help me with that child. Um, but um, the boys in my family, my brothers and my boy cousins, are become the male figure in the lives of my children, whether they're girls or boys. So the, the role model and the, the masculine, the male principle in the family is taken by the brothers. It's not that people don't know that there's a father. They just don't consider it to be the most important relationship. Right. And, when, and, you know, people go, oh, no, isn't that terrible? But, no, it's not terrible because even in our culture, we have a really hard time getting fathers to take responsibility for the children. Um, if the marriage doesn't break up and the father has a job, then he usually does, you know, take responsibility for the children. Sometimes, though, so he doesn't really get involved in their lives. He only works and comes home tired and doesn't have enough time. But um, with divorce, you know, we have such a terrible problem that many fathers then disappear. Um, so fatherhood yeah. isn't actually all that it's cracked up to be. <laughs> I mean, right. there are other ways of organizing society. And as one young woman who did a, a documentary on the Masu said, she was from Britain, she, and at the beginning of the documentary she said, the Masu understood that a man following his dick is not the way to organize the family. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I, I don't know if, if, uh, if you know anything about this, but I would uh, just assume um, that in a society like this, if a woman uh, chose to not be pregnant, uh, they probably have ways to deal with it, and it's probably not even an issue. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of herbal remedies that, that probably work. Um, I remember I was reading about it. I thought it was really radical. I was reading about this in a feminist newspaper 25 or 30 years ago, 30 years ago probably, or maybe even more, um, you know, that you could use rosemary tea to end a pregnancy in the early stages. And I brought hmm. this up to my, we were having a party at my home with my class, and I brought that up, and it was a young Mexican-American girl in my class, and she said, oh, yes, rosemary tea. My grandmother says it brings on a late period. <laughs> I didn't use the word abortion. But <laughs> right, you know, right. So, yeah, Interesting. They, they knew about these things so that they didn't have to have more children then. And they were ready to have it and able to exactly. care for. Of course, in the community, there's there would always be care for the child, even if the mother was too young or, you know, 
unhappy for some reason in her own life. There'd be other people that could help with help care for the child. Exactly. Yeah, and there's so much more support. Um, well, you also too in the article you said there's no distinction uh, between masculine and feminine character or qualities in these egalitarian matriarchies. Explain that, you know, because we get so hung up on feminine values, masculine values. Um, I, I think this is important. Yes, and especially um, in Jungianism, and which is influenced the New Age, um, you often get the idea of the divine masculine um, being something different from the divine feminine, and that you have to have a marriage between the two in order to create wholeness. And I think when you use the term Karen, the sacred feminine, um, you don't, you're not thinking in those terms. Um, you're thinking of the sacred feminine as being a more all-encompassing principle. But then mm-hmm. when you start talking about masculine and feminine being different, you'll often end up thinking in stereotypes so that the feminine is the receptive, the unconscious, the giving, the nurturing, the loving. And the masculine has to then be something else. What is it? Well, it's the conscious, which, pardon me, but I'm conscious and I'm, I'm a woman and I think conscious is <laughs> feminine quality, if you want to talk about it that way, a female quality. Um, and then you you know what's the opposite of loving it's you know it's assertive or, or it even becomes aggressive and then you say well that's the divine masculine it's the warrior god or something like that and we just don't these it's very hard to define the world in terms yeah. of these polarities without reinforcing patriarchy so that women become yeah. the, the passive and men become the aggressive and or you, I mean, or I don't you want have, women to be passive anymore. You know, we're not passive. No, oh. Giving and nurturing is not passive. It's very active, and women are not unconscious. Uh, women didn't create the secrets of agriculture and develop the principles of egalitarian matriarchal societies out of their unconscious. <laughs> of course, they were in touch with their unconscious and their body wisdom, but they also had minds and yeah. they thought about it yeah. and they discussed it and they came up with these ideas. Um, well, when so you put it like that, I think it, that, it, it, that the thing it, that just blew me away was that in these cultures they say, no, it, men are not to be the opposite of women. Men are to be like women. We're all yeah. supposed to be the same. We're all supposed to be loving, giving, and generous, and nobody is supposed to be aggressive or overly yeah. assertive or o- overly egotistical or overly rational. Everybody's supposed to integrate the rational with the with the body wisdom. Everybody's supposed to love children. Everybody's supposed to teach your life. That's the best thing you can do. Of course, when we get in our culture now, um, we were talking last night about Jimmy Carter, and he was perceived as wimpish because he mm-hmm. he was more of a, a, a man who put loving and giving and generosity before us everything else. And we just have to get beyond that. We should be yeah. people, men who are loving, giving, and generous as the most wonderful powerful, strong men in the world. Yeah, because it's really unfair to that type of man uh, to, it, it, it almost um, uh, emasculates him, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, and that's and that's really not fair because those are the qualities we wish more men had. And, I mean, and let's yeah, face it, there are women. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, and let's face it, there are women who don't have these, quote, feminine, I'm using air quotes here, you know, uh, practice these feminine qualities either, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
yeah, we have to, you know, really do better with language and definitions. There may be a slightly more. I mean, I'm I'm willing to, to you know, consider, and, and I, I I tend to believe that women are slightly more programmed for nurturing and empathy than, and men are slightly more programmed to override their nat- natural uh, empathy towards aggression. But if that's true, the purpose of culture is to get If that's true, women can override empathy and become aggressive too, just as you said. Mm-hmm. Men do it a little quicker than women because they don't have as much experience in empathy because they aren't mothers. Um, then we have to have we have to create a culture in which we encourage that in men. You don't go and tell yeah. your boy boys don't cry. You don't go and tell your boy go hit him back. In a in a matri- egalitarian matriarchal culture, you'd say of course boys cry, and you would also tell your girl and your boy we don't hit in our culture. Nobody goes mm-hmm. like that. We have to find a better way to deal with that. And getting yeah. women liberated and girls liberating is not teaching them to hit back the way boys have always been taught. It's teaching. It's trying to create a culture where nobody hits back, where we find other ways of dealing with conflict. Well, and, and you know, you're making me think about uh, you know, as women entered the workforce, uh, they just tried to emulate men rather than bring a new way of being to the workforce. Um, you, you know what I mean? Yes. I mean, I think a lot of women would like to bring a new way of being into the workforce, but of course, if you do, you don't get promoted. Um, yeah. So the way the culture of the workforce is, um, it's, it's hard to change it. So women, women have to become more like men. And uh, and I, I, I'm thinking of Sweden now. Um, Sweden, you know, has a very progressive uh, social welfare that tries to make women equality, uh, bring about equality between the sexes. And one of the things they found is that they gave both women and men a quite generous maternity leave or paternity leave, and the women all took it, and the men didn't. And they hmm. looked into it, and the reason was because in the workforce, the women who took the maternity leave were looked at on as less serious workers and maybe not promoted as much after they took the maternity leave, and even before wow. because they were going to be mothers and they probably would take the maternity leave. So the men were encouraged not to take it to show that they were really workers. And mm-hmm. Sweden finally said they passed a law that men have to take it. <laughs> the only way well, we that's take good. It. And yeah. that was and Sweden consciously says the reason we're doing this is because we want a society where men get involved in the family and the child rearing. And if the only way to do it is to pass a law, then we'll do it. I love those Scandinavian countries. I yeah. swear. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe that's where I'll go retire. <laughs> um, so now you know you also said that life is a gift that's meant to be shared, but this contradicts so much of what we've taught. You know, we hear we have to struggle to achieve, to get ahead, to make money, buy a house. Um, you know, uh, we have a right to own. Uh, you know, how can we ever get beyond this mine versus yours, you know, this constant chase for more assets, um, you know, the rat race? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think um, we have to try to, I mean, obviously we have to think about it, but one thing that comes to mind now is um, my friend Judith Pascal, um she had a son, and this would be 20 years ago, but 
uh, she and her partner were giving money, as a lot of you know liberals do. Um, they were giving money to different causes, civil rights, and feminism, and different things, and the environment. And their son was getting an allowance, and he was also getting, because um, it was a kind of upper-middle-class family, I guess you could say, or middle-class to upper-middle-class. He's getting a lot of mo- monetary gifts for his birthday and for bar mitzvah and things like that from his grandparents. And so they created a practice in their family um, where every month, uh, one day a month, I don't know which one they chose, but they would all sit down together and they would talk about where they were giving 10% or more of their money per month. And the boy had to do that too. They had to get involved in that. He had to think, did he want to give it to animal rights? Did he want to give it to civil rights? Did he want to give it to a Jewish cause? But he had to give up some of his money, and it was it was a practice they developed in their family. And when I um, heard about that and was talking to Judith about that, I started giving more money than I had been before. So once I got to Greece, I stopped getting all the ads to give money, and you know, sort of fell out of the habit of giving uh, money to causes. And um, it's a really good idea, you know, that everybody should think about. Even if you're not in a in a church that makes you do it, quote unquote, yeah, at least ten percent of what you have to others every month and every year, and talking with others about what you're doing. I also started. I'm not doing it now cause during the economic crisis. I fell out of the habit again. Um, the American economic crisis in the Obama administration, um, but um, instead of giving presents to people. Um, giving a gift to uh, a cause in their name, and then they get a little card for Christmas or Hanukkah or their birthday. You know, Carol gave ten dollars or twenty dollars in your name to X Y to the World Wildlife Fund, and right, and it kind of encourages them to think about doing that. You know, and and you know, and that it, and I think that's a good idea because uh, most of us just don't need more stuff anyway. You know, most um, of us it. Yeah, we probably don't I need didn't more hear what things. You said. Sorry. Oh, oh, I said that's probably that that uh, the way that you give a donation, you give someone uh, a gift, but it's a donation to a cause and in their name. And I was saying, I think that's a great idea because most of us don't need more stuff anyway. So it, you yeah. know, it, it's. Uh, uh, but you know, you reminded me uh, this this idea of tithing. Uh, when I was taking some Kabbalah classes at the uh, Kabbalah Center here in Los Angeles, uh, it was interesting the way they encouraged tithing. Uh, they taught it as the way to stay safe. Um, it, it, and it was, it, and you know, it, it felt like a subtle form of manipulation. Um, but you know, they ended up with incredible tithing amounts. Uh, but people were actually felt if they didn't give enough, bad things would happen to them. And the way to make sure positive things happened and neg- negativity or problems didn't land on your doorstep was to give. Uh, I mean, and give to the point where, you know, maybe you got a second job if you had to. Um, you know, that feels like it's going overboard a little bit. But uh, yeah. it, it was an in- interesting concept uh, because it's almost becomes fear-based then, you know. Yeah. Uh, be- because I remember when I had a shoulder injury and I was worried it was going to turn into a thing where I'd need surgery. And my Kabbalah teacher said, oh, well, you must not have tithed enough. 
And, you know, I thought to myself, you know, if I have to start worrying about did I give enough money and maybe that's why I have an injury, I'm done. You know, I'm yeah. I'm not going to, you know, succumb to this fear-based uh, stuff. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really agree with you. I think um, life isn't fair and everything doesn't happen for a reason. And sometimes you just, you know, you weren't thinking and you fell. It's not has nothing to do with your larger mm-hmm. life. Um, of course, you should be a little more conscious and be a little more in your body, and maybe you wouldn't have fallen. But, you know, sometimes things just happen. You get hit by a right. car. It's not always your fault. You lose your job. It's not always your fault. Um, you don't get your true love like I, you know, for most of my life haven't had. It's not my fault. <laughs> I'm a good, You know, it's not because, you know, it might be because I'm six foot one and I'm smart and men are afraid of that. But, um it's not my fault. It's not because of something I did or didn't do. Sometimes you can, you can, you know, do something and you can improve your life. But sometimes things are just, it's not just not, it's not ordained by an omnipotent God. There is no such thing. We could talk about that on another program. There's no, I used to think the goddess would give me what I wanted if I just loved her enough. Well, she's not that powerful to do that either. She's always there to love us and guide us and help us and inspire us, but she's not omnipotent. If she was, you know, it's another whole story, but if she was, we wouldn't really exist. We wouldn't have any will of our own. Um, But also, I I really um, don't like the guilt-based ethic either. I, I was reading, you know, a few years ago, I was reading a book by a friend of mine and, you know, Confessing Your Sins in Christianity. I just don't find that helpful. Um... I find it much more inspiring to say life is a gift and we should share it than to say I didn't do this, I didn't do that. We don't look at, we don't help the poor. We should just be saying let's help the poor, not I'm bad mm-hmm. because I didn't help the poor. <laughs> right. Just to me, right. it's just not a way to inspire people to do things by making them feel bad. Of course, we speak well, the truth. We don't say everything's perfect and everything's fine because it isn't. But we don't blame ourselves overly for um we just say we can do better. That's much yeah. more inspiring than I'm bad. Yeah, and it's and it's keeping it keeping it on the positive too, which is probably yeah. um more motivating um yeah, as much well, more. I think. And getting well, back to you, what you said earlier about white women's tears, I mean part of that mm-hmm. is stems from a feeling of, of in, inadequacy and guilt. Like we're meant, I mean, white women have been taught, and a lot of us in our families, we have to be perfect or we're not okay. Because after all, we are girls, and girls aren't perfect to begin with. So we have to try to be perfect, and then someone tells us we're not perfect, and we break into tears. (laughs) If we thought that we could just be human and try our best, then we wouldn't be breaking into those tears. We'd say, yeah, of course I'm racist sometimes. Of course I do things that, you know, even in a personal Mm -hmm. relationship with another white woman, I do things that are hurtful. And not break into tears when someone tells me. Just say, oh, yeah, yeah I guess I'm guess I, I'm sorry. I'd like I to do. talk about that. I'm sorry. Um, and yeah. let's move on. Right, right, right. Um, it, it's, it really, it's so simple when you think about it, you know, but we make it complicated. Yeah. Well, um, could you expand a bit on the culture of gift-giving that you would experience in Crete? I mean, I know you talked a little bit about, like, when you go to the restaurants and things, uh, they used to give a little something extra. Uh, was there more to it than that? Or? I, I and, think and what, in the yeah in the egalitarian uh, matriarchal communities that exist today, and um, also I think it was it's still a bit true in Crete, um, part of the way um, – 
wealth is is distributed is that the people who have more um not only they give to others you know, like go to the next door neighbor and here's a plate of food um i mean i was renting an apartment from an upper middle class woman um she's single she's in her 60s and she she would always cook and then she'd bring me a plate of food um so they do do that and i think that stems back um but um it's also that the people who have more, well, they'll be the ones to sponsor the festivals or when it comes around to a baptism, instead of inviting 20 people, they'll invite the whole community and then everybody gets to, gets to eat and drink and everybody gets to have a good time and, you know, dancing and singing as part of the rituals um, forms community and keeps the community grounded and, and, and you know, flowing. So... It's not just giving one-to-one. It's also how you mm-hmm. organize your society so that you keep that money flowing and you don't just hold on to it. And, of course, I, I've yeah. thought about this. Part of it stems back to not having refrigerators and not having banks. So there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of ways to store up wealth in these smaller rural communities. Um, you, you couldn't, you know, hoard your food. <laughs> it would just rot. That's a good point. Um, yeah, that's but a good point. You know, some people still had bigger houses and, you know, were, were hoarding up goods, but that wasn't the norm. Yeah. So. Well, did you ever uh, receive gifts in Crete that maybe felt you, made you feel uncomfortable? Yes. Um, <clears throat> when I first started leading the tours, um, when I took, often when I, I mean, the girls on the tour, the women on the tour wanted to shop. I didn't encourage shopping as part. It wasn't part of the original plan, but, you know, if there was a shop, they would go into it and start buying. And so I had to leave, leave time for that. And then the gift, the shop owner would give me a gift, and I interpret that as a bribe, um, mm. that the shop owner is bribing me to bring them back. And I said, no, I mm. won't take that. I'm not here to take a bribe, you know. <laughs> then I realized, no, as, you know, as time went on, the shop owners grew to love me. They were they were grateful for me bringing these people, but they also it was mm-hmm. an expression of their love for me. They liked me. They liked our group. Yeah. And it wasn't a it wasn't strictly speaking a bribe, and I had to. It was appreciation. It. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it was more appreciation. Yeah. 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 yeah but but I, I can see where maybe you you might have thought otherwise. You know, at first. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Carol, I know I kept you longer um, than planned, but I think it's been a great conversation. And um, really you know, I, I, <laughs> and and I love that you're going to dust off the touchstones and start talking more about those because uh, so many, you know, women, um, you know, admire you and your work. And um, you know, I think I just think it's important to be uh, to you know to be talking about those values. You know, especially now. You know, we 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 have so many negative messages. It's easy to fall into bad habits. You know, and and we live in such a selfish culture. Um, you know, uh, anyway, you, you get the point. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I will look forward to those. Uh, if, if you do get a chance, I, I know you're busy, but if you do get a chance to write more on the touchstones, I think that would be a great service to, uh, to well, the community. Yeah, give me nine blog topics for the next nine There weeks. you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That'll get me through um, the summer. <laughs> thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for suggesting that. <laughs> well, is there uh, anything else I haven't thought to ask you that maybe you wanted to share before I uh, let you go today? 
that's my phone. I don't have to answer it. Sorry, or sorry for that sound in the background. Um, no, okay. I think this was a lovely conversation, and it feels full. It feels wonderful. Okay. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Oh, well, thank you for uh, coming on, and, and I agree. I think it was a great conversation, and I'll be sharing it around social media, and if you want the link to do the same, that would be great. Oh, of course I do. Uh, yeah, of course I do. Okay, wonderful. And um, any upcoming tours uh, to Crete that you still have spaces? Well, our tours are, um, it's, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's Trump or the Me Too movement or what it is, but our tours this year are filled in December and January, so we have no space on this tour. And our tours for next year are already starting to fill. Um, last year they we didn't have any full tours for a couple of years, but... Um, Women seem to be really um, wanting not only just, you know, to travel and and experience uh, their spirituality, but to um, to find a vision that can inspire them to go back home and create communities of change. And I'm really, really excited about the the women that were on the last tour, the last couple of tours, um, just feeling like they're going back home to change the world. And because they've seen and they've felt in their bones that another way is possible, that we can create communities of peace, we can share and give, and we can try to change the world. Blessed be. Well, that sounds wonderful. That's inspiring. Thank you. And, you know, I can't help but think um, that things have gotten um, so despicable here in the United States, you know, with Trump and all the stuff that the Republicans are doing, that it had to get this bad, I think, for people to get motivated. Um, So, you know, we may say five years from now he was the catalyst for something good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Who knows? There's a lot of of bad to be undone to the environment and to immigrants and the poor and everything. But, yes, hopefully um, we can make something good out of the bad. And that was the principle of the the, uh, egalitarian matriarchy in West Sumatra. Um, They say that nature has good and bad in it. But we take the good and we build on that. And they also have that attitude towards Islam. They don't say Islam has good and bad in it, but actually that's what they're doing. They're ignoring what you and I would call the bad and <laughs> taking the good out of it, taking the part of the parts of Islam that, that um, encourage people to nurture the weak and love the right. world. Well, look the at same the way volcanoes. some Christians do with the Bible or some Jews do with the Bible, take the good and, and leave the bad, don't. Don't focus on right. We, we cherry pick. We're cafeteria. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but cafeteria. we need to. I mean, the goddess yeah. tradition, as we were saying earlier, well, if you want to call it a tradition, um, a lot of it's not very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Parts of it. And uh, we need, well, to, we and need to take the good and, and not emphasize the other parts. Exactly, because, I mean, even within goddess spirituality, there's discrimination, you know, and we have mm-hmm. to look at that. Um, yeah. But it's, it's but look at, uh, I mean, and fundamentalism, too. Um, yeah. But I was thinking about the volcanoes, uh, you know, the you know the eruptions. Uh, you know, you can look at nature, look at the destructiveness of the volcanoes, but then, uh, you know, that lava turns into some of the richest soil. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, yeah. it's, uh, I think, important to see the gift in these um you know, uh, situations that that look, um, you know, uh, look, look pretty bad. Yeah, and also looking at it in a different way. I mean, uh, when I first started teaching about 
leading the tours and teaching about the values of ancient Crete, I felt I had to prove uh, to myself and others that nature is good, and that the, you know, and that the way the Cretans were living was natural, and that patriarchy came in and created unnatural structures. But actually, I think it's more realistic to say, you know, so one example is the Minoans, you know, when they portray animals or people or, or just abstract symbols, it always feels happy and graceful and, you know, um, sweet. Whereas you go into the, um, the next, you know, into the Greek period, they're always, you know, holding a severed head or fighting giants or fighting each other, spears and killing. And, you know, so I wanted to say the Minoan view is natural and the other view is unnatural. But actually, nature has both. And, you know, we know from mm-hmm. the primates some chimpanzees are, have dominance behaviors, and we, we're very closely related to them. So there are dominance behaviors in our, probably in our genes as well. Um, but it's what we, it's the purpose of culture is to shape, to take, to tell us what is, how we should be. We don't have to be natural. And so the Minoan, I came to understand the Minoan culture, like the culture in West Sumatra, they're taking the good out of nature and emphasizing that and creating a culture that that um, underscores and, and values those parts of nature that um, are nurturing and loving and good. And they don't value the chimp that goes around and beats up another chimp. <laughs> or right, the, lion, right. the lion killing the lamb, although they do eat meat. Um, but they don't, they don't, um, they don't valorize violence the way our culture does, and cultures have, you know, for a very yeah. long time. Yeah. Well, and and well, you're making me think about, you know, the individual versus the common. You know, uh, you know, we've been it. it if we were more community oriented, you know, if the rich paid their fair share in taxes, you know, or looked at their taxes as the what's that expression, the rent they pay to be a part of society kind of yeah. thing. Uh, you know, if it if it were more about, you know, what's best for the community rather than me, 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 I, 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 you know, if mm-hmm. it were the we and the us rather than the I and the me, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Um, you know, I, I think that's, uh, you know, to me that's a big part of goddess spirituality too because yeah. the mother, you know, the mother is about all of her children, you know, not yeah. just maybe, uh, you know, um, the, the individualism that we uh, have here in the United States, I think um, that's helped, um, you know, maybe destroy the idea of generosity and community and um you know, we we just have to get back to the we and the us. Yeah, and you know, I mean, getting you know, we were talking obviously about American politics again, but people who feel they don't want to pay taxes because it, why should they give? Why should why should they be forced to give? I mean, I look at my father; he worked really hard, and you know, he made money and he left some of it to me, and my life is better for that. But my father had the GI Bill. How did he get his start? Mm-hmm. That was a mm-hmm. common thing. And, you know, people forget that, especially, you know, white people forget that they were the beneficiaries of a lot of government programs, FDA loans, you know, um, that that were communal. It wasn't all done individually. And, yeah, those of us who benefited from that and our fathers made money and we inherited it, we should be paying taxes. 
Well, it, and, you know, it feels like there's a collective amnesia, you know, because my first job out of school, I was a typist in an insurance company. I had college reimbursement. I had medical insurance. I mean, I wasn't paid the best, but I had the, you know, I had good benefits, and I could afford an apartment, you know. Yeah. And, and and now today, you know, you see how hard it is for people, you know, they have to have multiple jobs to make ends meet. And to and and when they hear, you know, uh, state college should be free. There, you know, there should be a living wage. Uh, you know, everybody should have access to health care. I mean, people act like it, those are such privileges. And you know, state and, and colleges, it, was, it was only and state a, colleges in California were free through the up until the 1980s under Reagan. I mean, yeah, and yeah, people forget yeah. that that's how they got to college. If they got to college, yeah. or that's how they're their kids or their husband or their wife got to college um, because it was free, <laughs> not because then they didn't have to take out. Anyway, we could go on and on, but probably I know, we've come I know. to the end of our time. <laughs> Anybody wants to listen anymore, well, I'll come on again. <laughs> Hello? Well, I've, I, I hope you all enjoyed the uh, conversation with Carol, and uh, I know I sure did. And uh, please do hit the follow button on the show page uh, so you get uh, news of um, uh, what shows are happening each week. And uh, as I promised at the top of the hour, uh, I was going to uh, play the full single of uh, Celia's Meta Prayer. Uh, so here goes. And please uh, come back next Wednesday uh, when my guest will be Barbara Han Clow. Good night. Oh, mm-hmm.